Manx Radio Podcasts, powered by Shaw. Hello and welcome to this week's Countryside with Simon Clark and Kiri Kermode. And we have many visitors, Kiri, and guests on Countryside that have come from the country world and also um, the agricultural world in many cases uh, to have a look at the Isle of Man, many for the first time. And a lot of them come back, um, but often from the UK and stuff. But these the ones you were talking to were quite far away they certainly were all the way from oklahoma in america absolutely fantastic. where the wind comes screaming down the plains <laughs> they did say that uh, their land was totally different to ours they couldn't believe how lush and green it was here on the island and uh, how desert like their parts are but they love the visit here they, they've got to visit um beth and steve martin from schmiel and to see how crops are grown and then to orisdale and balasella to see livestock production beef and sheep and and they thought it was such a contrast to back home and really loved their visit to the island. Yeah, looking forward to listening to that. And also um, listening again to my chat with John Corkish from Port St Mary. Lovely fella and he's got some great memories of uh, how times were back on his days on the farm, particularly and growing up as a lad as well. And uh, particularly uh, in today's programme as he talks about, uh, you know, the times uh, when, when they were involved in the war course a lot of the farm and fraternity were, were sort of exempt from wartime because they have to keep the island going so a fascinating chat uh, that i'll have with john so here all is manx radio's countryside is brought to you by nfu mutual first on this week's program we get many visitors from ireland from scotland wales uh, the uk and europe as well sometimes kiri but these have come a little bit further uh, afield. That's right. They've come all the way from Oklahoma to visit the Isle of Man and Northern Ireland and Dublin to study more about the British agriculture, basically. Um, they came to Schmiel Farm in the north of the island and then they popped down to our farm at Orisdale and Balasella to discover what pedigree breeding was all about on the island. Jerry, this is your second time to Britain. Has it changed much? Actually, it has quite a little bit. We've seen some changes. But again, we have been, this is the first time we've ever been to the Isle of Man. And so it's very, very interesting. Obviously, you've come very, very far. You've come from America. We have. Long flights. Um, (laughs) But one of the things that we do with the OALE, OALE stands for the Oklahoma Ag Leadership Encounter. And it's basically the top 12 students in the College of Agriculture at Oklahoma State University. It's a year-long program teaching them about advocating for animal agriculture and how to be the future leaders in agriculture. And so it's a, a full-year training, and then we, we culminate it with an uh, international trip somewhere. This year it's the Isle of Man and Ireland. And how has the Isle of Man been for you guys? Obviously it must be very different to America. Actually where I grew up in California and then moved to Oregon. Oregon is somewhat more similar as far as climate and that to the Isle of Man. Lots of good forage production, you know, grass is is king and it works extremely well. So yes, it's very different, but it's also, there are parts of the U.S. that are very similar to what the Isle of Man is. You've obviously visited a couple of farms while you've been here on the island uh, in the north and then you came to our farm at Orisdale and Balasal. How does the livestock differ? It's very interesting. When we talk about U.S. beef cattle production, we're very heavy into EPDs and numbers and utilization of those kinds of things. And in our conversation yesterday, you're less into those kinds of numbers. But on the sheep side of things, we're more into the visual side of things in the U.S. And we don't use numbers like we really need to. Uh, and you use more of those EPDs, EBVs, and, and utilize those. And so it's 
the type of animal is slightly different, but then the utilization of genetic numbers and those kind of things is also very different depending on where you're at. I guess that some of these students here will be able to use contacts and maybe in the future these genetics could be transferred from, say, UK to America. We hope so. We hope so. I mean, that, that's what this is all about is to learn that there's a global agriculture out there and that these students, what we try and do is when we come to other countries is we try and see the differences, mm -hmm. the diversity in ag production, the diversity in uh, animal production, and see what you're doing different than we are, and maybe some of those things, maybe we can take two or three things away, maybe we can bring two or three yeah. things to you. And is there still a great connection between the farmer and the food consumer in America? That's one of the problems we deal with in the United States more than anywhere, is that most of our consumers in the U.S. are three to five generations removed from the family farm. So they think their milk comes from a grocery store and they don't understand about agriculture and so we deal with that every day that those consumers don't understand what we do, why we do it, and how it benefits them. Has it become a problem? It has become a problem. We have animal rights groups in the United States that are very well funded and they do ad campaigns talking about things that we don't do. I mean, every, in every industry, you have a bad actor every once in a while. But 99.999% of the farmers and ranchers in the U.S., the number one thing they do before they go eat breakfast in the morning is go take care of their cattle, to go take care of their sheep. They do those kinds of things, and consumers don't understand that we put our animals before ourselves. And with having students like these guys here, that will certainly help promote and maybe have the link again between citizen and country person. That is exactly what we hope. That is exactly what we're trying to do is, is teach these guys how to advocate for animal agriculture. And whether you're a 12-year-old or whether you're a 65-year-old, if you've grown up on a farm, you know more and you can advocate for animal agriculture. You don't have to be a PhD okay, in animal science to advocate. You know yourself mm -hmm. about animal agriculture and what it does and 99% more than what most consumers do and so we have to take that to the consumer and let them understand that we do everything we possibly can to take care of our animals one okay before they become our food too. You're heading to North, is it Northern Ireland or Ireland? Ireland. We're going into Dublin and we're going up to, I'm going to pronounce it wrong, Galloway? Yeah, Galloway, yeah. Galloway, okay. <laughs> and you're going to visit more farms there, I we assume? Are. Yes, that is exactly, this trip what we try and do is, is we try and spend 30 or 40% of our time on the history of the countries and then 60 or 70% of our time visiting agricultural farms. Brilliant. Well, I hope you have a great trip. And next year, maybe again, you'll be back? We might. We might. We've had great hospitality. We've really enjoyed the Isle of Man. It's been a phenomenal visit, and we're going to send a lot of other people over here. Mike, is this your first visit to the Isle of Man as well? It actually is. Uh, first time I've been here. I've been to Ireland before, but not to the Isle of, Isle of Man. A uh, fantastic few days. And what did you like the best about being here? Oh, the weather, the ocean, the green. green? Uh, the people. People are phenomenal. People of the Isle of Man, the people of Oklahoma have a lot in common. Uh, survivor, you know, I, I love your national motto. Doesn't matter how you throw me, I'm going to stand on my feet. Uh, and then there's a, a lot of that with, with our heritage in Oklahoma as well. Uh, we suffer a lot of adversity as well, and we're always going to survive. We're always going to land on our feet. People are very warm and gracious. I just felt like I was home. And how did you think of our agriculture compared to yours? 
a little bit smaller scale. Uh, of course, the yields are higher uh, than, than ours, but the, the acreages are a little smaller. Uh, but I'm always fascinated at the way things are done in other parts of the world. Uh, we have green grass about, oh, maybe 90 days of the year, and the rest of the time it's brown, either because of cold or drought. Uh, so to see green is, is just incredible. Uh, always interested in, in I, I think the, the, the European producer does a better job producing for a market uh, than we do. We tend to grow a lot of quantity and don't focus much on quality. And here it seems to be more quality based uh, and, and rather than quantity based. And what did you think of the beef cattle in comparison to yours? Because you have a lot of good big feed lots. And yeah, a little uh, similar, a little heavier muscled over here uh, than ours are because you got to utilize smaller acreages for more meat. Uh, we got we need cattle that can survive on. Uh, 20 or 30 or 40 acres. Uh, some of our stocking rates out in western Oklahoma, you know, run from 20 acres per animal unit all the way up to 30 or 40 acres per animal unit. So when we have a, a big animal trying to survive on that, that doesn't work very well. So we, we tend to go for some of the smaller smaller body sized, uh, but then when we get them into the feedlot scenario, that tends to be where we put the muscle on. Yeah. And what breeds would you use in particular? Uh, a lot of Angus cattle, a lot of Angus, a lot of Hartford, a lot of English influence. Uh, at one time we had a lot of Abrama cross mm -hmm, yeah. uh, for heat and, and pest tolerance uh, but we see a lot of the English influence still for meat quality. And is there much embryo transfer and AI used in Oklahoma? Uh, starting to, to more AI. AI has been around a long time. We see a lot of embryo transfer in the show stock, yeah. uh, the purebred stock and I think eventually that'll that'll work its way into the commercial herds as well. Because obviously you have the, the massive expo in March as well. That'll see some of the best show stock. Oh best of the best in, in all breeds. Cattle, sheep, swine, uh, all of it. It's one of the largest youth shows in the world, if not the largest. Ben, you'll be obviously involved with the Oklahoma Youth Expo. It's Absolutely. a monumental show, I hear, in March. It is a very large show, consisting of 15,000 head of animal total. And uh, do you take part? I have taken part in the past and also just got done working it a few months ago. So what kind of animals would, would go to this show? They show goats, sheep, cattle, and swine. And are they very, very different from your commercial beef and sheep? Yes, uh, we have both breeder shows and commercial shows. That was a lot to take on. I assume there's a lot of organization to take this show to the forefront of agriculture. Absolutely, it is a full-time job year-round for a very dedicated staff of wonderful people to put the show on every year. And do you live on a farm yourself? I do. And you raise? Wheat and cotton, primarily. So what did you think of the landscape here in the Isle of Man compared to back home? Far greener and way more beautiful. Oh, <laughs> you're too kind. <laughs> How did the trip come about to come to the Isle of Man? Because obviously you're a student at Oklahoma. Yes, I am a, I am a part of a group called the Oklahoma Ag Leadership Encounter. And this trip is kind of our reward for working the Oklahoma Youth Expo. Wow. We've been looking forward to it all year and are really glad to be here. And do you have to do a report on, on your visit? I do have to do a report on my visit. And is there anything in particular you've got to talk about? Nothing in particular. I'm actually not even totally sure what my report's going to be about. <laughs> <laughs> but will you be back? Oh, absolutely. That was Ben Schultz, Mike Schultz and Jerry Fitch, all from Oklahoma Agricultural Leadership Encounter Class. I noticed in there, Kiri, that uh, 
not quite the same sort of setup for for learning them and stock judging and things, was there? No, that's right. They have proper classes, proper programs to teach these children how to judge beef cattle or sheep. Um, they are coached to the absolute maximum to to take them into these big expos in America. There are thousands and thousands of livestock attend, and each student has to undertake the judging of these big classes and it's part of their curriculum it's what they learn at agricultural university yeah, and it's funny because you get that um work experience people don't you that go around to join shops electricians for instance and and have a little go maybe wiring a plug under the supervision of course but i suppose on farms they just get shown around and don't really get to see how you know that that's a good sheep or beef cattle that's ready uh, you know to be sold or whatever that's right here we pass down from our fathers or our grandfathers and it's the same in america but it's giving those children that maybe like agriculture but don't have a farm at home the opportunity to take part and, and learn judging and learn which is the best beast and they have fantastic classes of up 30 40 students a year come and maybe non-agricultural students to learn all about it mm. and they seem to enjoy our, our little farms oh, they really <laughs> did they thought the isle of man was beautiful so lush and green and they didn't mind the cold weather either Manx Radio's Countryside is brought to you by NFU Mutual Well I went down to Port St Mary and had a good old chat with John Corkish Obviously, John, with the age that he's at now, has quite a few memories of times when he was a lad and growing up on the farms, particularly in the war years. Back in the farming days down the south of the Isle of Man, of course, it was, I suppose, when you were a young fellow, it was pretty hard times well, with the war breaking out, was it? Well, yes. I, of course, I was only young during the war, but I got memories of the internees to start with and then the internees had to run up Port Erden and Port Mary to start with, but they were then all put to Port Erden, and the army took over the Balqueen. The WAFs took over Morlands at the, at the Four Roads, and uh, I think it was the, the RAF that had what's the, uh, became the Carrick Bay Hotel. So it was quite a busy place around about like at that time, and uh, when the, the there was that much dig for victory and trying, and I suppose, as you know, Simon, the, the farmers in the wartime, they all, according to the acres they had, they had to grow a certain amount of wheat. And uh, Comish and Balakilia, where I spent all my childhood, they ploughed, I was always on, oh, I thought that they ploughed the whole of Ports Maidlings, but Stanley Lucas tells me his father ploughed part of it. And I think that was about 1943. So it wasn't right at the start of the war, but the Comish family, there was two boys and the old man, like, and they had the lion's share. I, I would say there some, must be somewhere around 80 acres in Pozumeri Golf Course. What Was it a golf course then? Oh, yes, yeah. and it was all ploughed by the Greens. And this house is built on part, there was or under crop, and with, <laughs> there was no Irishman around here. And he was... When he was stooking, when he'd take a couple of sheaves and turn them upside down and stub the heads down in one another and then fan them out. And his, uh, he said that was to keep the, the grain, the rain from blackening the grain. Right. So whether there was anything in it or not, I don't know. But I, I can remember that. And then... Was that 
Because they needed that land to grow the wheat? Oh yes, yes, and uh, I know it was ploughed two years on the run, but I don't know honestly if it was ploughed three, because the, of course the war finished in '45, so it could have been ploughed three times, but it went back into grass and back as a golf course. But not only did they plough Ports and Mary golf course, there was the Rowney golf course had part of what a farm called Balanil, and there was two fields of Balanil in, in, in the Rowney golf course, and they had just taken the stone wall down the width of the, of the fairways, and there'd be about, I would estimate, about 25 acres in those two fields. I've heard them say that the Combs just one year, they were 120 acres under between, uh, between wheat and oats, because it was mainly oats. And since the war, there's not been a big lot of wheat grown around here. Right. Well, so. were they ploughing them with tractors, though? Oh, yes, yeah. yeah. yeah either was, You're fairly hilly. Well, I would the main top end is, is goes up a bit. There's one or two steep, steep banks in it. But uh, since that, I've cut them all and bailed them all, yeah. all the roofs. Really? Yeah. Uh, but uh, the Port Mary Golf Course and the Rowney Golf Course, they had a blue forge in each. And uh, the, the the one that was on the round, he combs just bought that off the, because there was no golf course going like so, the uh, and they had two ploughs so the, the, there was two two forgings are there on that farm. Balakuri had a forging of their own. Of course, the majority of forgings in the wartime they came out on steel wheels, spade lugs, but these were all pre-war tractors, so they were well warm in nineteen thirty-six and the other was 1938, so they were on rubbers, yeah. and uh, they were able to travel on the road, but... Uh, yeah, you, but you, you were only young then, and oh, yes. you spent a, a lot of youth even before, while you were still at school, on the farm. Oh, yes. was, what What was the sort of mood like? I mean, the farmers, were, were they exempt from going to the war? Oh, yes, yes. Even I was. When I came 18, I was still exempt, like, and uh, I was working in Moorhouse, the public saying that time, Henry's father. But uh, the there were the horses. There were still, I think, there were still five horses in Balakilia at that time, like, and uh, I was, I suppose, I'd be no more than twelve year old, and I'd be packing loads of on the stiff cart like the harvest time. But uh, going uh, going back to the golf course, I remember them thrashing. But it wasn't stacked on parts of Mary Links. It was thrashed out of the stook. And uh, I remember them thrashing, and myself and another young fellow with the job of clear. There were no chaff blowers on the mills in those days. I'd direct the chaff out onto a, a chaff sheet and drag it away. And well, how they went Got on. the best cleanest job then? <laughs> oh no, by no means. <laughs> but uh, it was always a job the nippers got. <laughs> so, but uh, and and burning it, trying to drag it clear of the mill like in the straw stack, but burning the chaff. And because there was blackout that time, so I often, often enough think, how the hell did they go on? Because the thing would smoulder on for long enough. But uh, didn't spread. Didn't spread. No, no. So. Well, I mean, as a young fellow, I suppose, did, did you sort of appreciate the the scale of war then? They probably no, no, people no, would no, be talking no, about the first war. But I mean, what was the mood like from from the farmers themselves? Well, was it worrying time? Uh, 
not not as far as I, as a young fellow that I can remember. Everybody seemed to be happy and carry on as as usual, like. But uh, I suppose they thought they were doing a big lot for the country, really. Well, yes, you know? it, it, it certainly was because the <coughs> with the between the attorneys and the RAF and, and the army fellows, they all had to be fed, and it was all local produce, like. And uh, someone asked me uh, not a lot long ago, how did they go on for milk when, after the war, when, when the business started coming again? Well, it made me stop and think, well, they, was, they were keeping all these uh, uh, forces, fellows, uh, army and navy and all such, they were all, they were all getting milk and, uh, at one time then, so it went on just the same. But I do know it would be a bit, Forty six or forty seven, there was uh, they were flying milk in from from Ireland. Really? Yes. There was a plane just crashed on top of Slock, just another couple of feet higher, and he declared it. But and that was the, the milk plane, and that was there was it would be this time of the year when there were lots of visitors had arrived in Ireland, man, and the farms shouldn't couldn't just produce enough milk to, and there were. It was getting flown in, and that was the first aluminium milk kegs I ever seen. Was it? Yeah. But <laughs> so, right, but then I mean, was there much in the way of defences around the coat, you know, for fields and and barbed wire and well, things? Well, the first job my father had when after he came out of Balakwini, the uh, was putting the barbed wire up for the attorneys, which started on the cliff top of the back of Bradda Bradda Head. And down over and finished up out here at Gansey. And it's not just a, a couple of yards then. Oh, we did, no. And yeah, you couldn't yeah, go just walk into Port Eden. I don't remember much about barriers into Port Smed, but going into Port Eden, you had to show your identity card. And one instance I can remember, I, I was, oh, well, I don't know, I was a lump at any because there, there was. Gomes has had two fields up at the up at the Ronnie uh, farmhouse and they had to go put Aaron Promenade to get to them. So consequently they had to go through the barrier. Well the fields were ploughed and they were worked and Leslie set off with the horses and the condrill and I remember a young fellow rolling, wheeling the sacks of oh, seed to the loft door and Robert lifting it down onto the trailer and of course I didn't miss if there was a chance for a ride on the tractor, I was there, sitting on the mudguard, no self and safety, <laughs> health and safety then days. And he said to Susan, we'd be sitting there on the mudguard, and if you had a slip, you'd have been right down in front of the wheel, you'd have been running, because the driver wouldn't, wouldn't have had a help and hell or something. Anyhow, we got over there, and uh, there was Leslie standing with the horses and the condrill at the side, and the barrier shut. And Robertson. What's what's wrong, Leslie? Oh, he said, Stanley won't let me through. Because there were special police and he was just showing us authority, you see. Oh, he won't let me through. He said, I haven't got my identity card. Robert said, I haven't got mine either. So I said to Stanley, <coughs> Bryson, don't be so cheap at Stanley. He said, open the gate, he said, and let us get on. He said, without your identity card, you're not going through. He said, <coughs> God told me to get off the track now. Stanley, he said, if you don't open that gate, I'll open it for you. And he backed the tractor up 30 or 40 yards, stuck it in top gear, and he threw the gates open in the nick of time. 
the case would have been smashed. Robert was going through, so. But it was just. I mean, it's not as if they were strangers. They all knew one another, yeah. but he wanted to show his authority. You see, a bit of Captain Mannering. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> but I mean, when when the war finally finished in forty-five, I mean, did did the mood change, or was it just as difficult? Well. As a young fella, it didn't seem to make a great lot of difference to me at all. Life seemed to go on. <clears throat> As I say, I was never home. I was always up. I was bloody practically brought up with the Comishes and Balaclula. And I've, I've, I've seen me, <clears throat> I'd be maybe 12 or so, maybe 13. And they used to send a half a dozen sacks of oats down to Castledown Mill. Well, in the springtime, if the tractor was busy, a Saturday morning, they'd put their mare in the cart and send me off to Castledown. Just imagine today, well, of course, there was no traffic then, but 12-year-old with a horse and cart setting off. But it was just the done thing. You didn't think anything of it. like... No. I suppose people got told what to do and what not well, to do, and it was drilled in you. Oh, yes. <laughs> got to boot up the bum. And you can rest assured, you maybe have to co- coax the old mare going there, but when she came out onto the main road and headed for home, you didn't have to do no coaxing. She Aye. knew where she was going. Yeah. Uh, but, but of course, obviously, it didn't put you off because you, you spent the rest of your life involved in it, didn't you? More or less. So yeah. I, if I was only for this disability that I've got now, I'd still be mucking in the farm. I just said to you, I was trying to round sheep up there for William this afternoon, but... Uh, yeah, stick is handy enough, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was just scuppered without it. Yeah, but, but tough times, but oh, happy times on oh the Oh, yes, oh, yes. I don't, re- I don't regret a day that I spent working. Not, not in any... In the latter years, I was on the highway board, like, but prior to that, even that, I didn't... I knew nothing against the highway board, but... Uh, or oh, used to be the look down of your last job was the highway board. It wasn't to me. It was, uh, it was a job, and that's that was the main thing. But uh, no, as regards the, the the farm harvest time, the old man was grave digger by this time up at Russian, and in the afternoons when the boys would go to milk, he would always come to fork in the field like, and I would. Before they went to milk, I'd be shifting the trial tractor from stook to stook, and uh, then when they went to milk, I would take the, the old mare and, and the cart, and I'd be building the roads and forking in under the stack and all. And uh, ask a 13 year old to do that today, <laughs> you know where you'd be told to go. My dear, with my phone. Yeah. But good memories, hard oh, times, yes. but good. Oh, yes, yes. John Corkish from Port St Mary with his memories of the tough old times, but enjoyable times, as he said. They just cracked on uh, during the war years and tried to keep the Isle of Man uh, sufficient in, in what it needed and a lot of changes that uh, were going on around them as well. We don't realise how spoilt we are nowadays, you know, with the, the food that comes from a grocery store or, or what local farmers produce. It's always readily available, whereas then it was really, really difficult times. Yeah, and of course the sad loss of the, the plane, having to bring milk in from Ireland and places. And uh, John was telling me afterwards that um, after the war had finished and they sort of got going a bit and the, the demand for milk, I suppose, because it, it was quite a I suppose, reasonable, cheap thing to, to produce in them days, uh, there were 17 
farms producing milk around the south of the island, down around that area. Goodness me, and to think mm. there's only 35 in total now. I know, incredible, isn't it? Time's but changed. But good old memories, wasn't it? And yeah, still wouldn't have changed a thing, he said, so it's just nice to know that... Uh, you know, things weren't all doom and gloom, I suppose. No. I suppose you didn't see it firsthand, maybe, here. So, But I suppose you got a lot of uh, uh, chat from, from people, didn't you, that was what was going on. But, um, yeah, it was an important part of a very the important job. Manx Radio's Countryside is brought to you by NFU Mutual. Well, there we are. John Corkish with his memories. Uh, happy ones, even though it was wartime and tough times. Uh, grew up on the farms down Port St Mary area, uh, telling about his old memories and wouldn't change a thing about it. You probably wouldn't either, would you? No, not at all, but it's uh, certainly changed. He'll have seen some changes in his lifetime. And now, young farmers, we don't know we're born, really, do we? So no, spoiled. A lot, lot more mechanical, I suppose. There was a lot more labour, I suppose, then, wasn't there, where you know you got a group of you working together. I suppose the work didn't seem as bad you know when you're sort of doing things on your own now that's that right it's very quite, solitary yeah. until unless you get extra staff in but like you say it's very mechanized and jobs are a lot quicker now but uh, they were hard graft back then and such an essential job they had providing the food for mm. the nation yeah and the o- oklahoma crew there they were uh, enjoying themselves on the island by the sound of it they really did enjoy it and many of them hadn't even been out of america to europe or britain and for them to get the opportunity they were the top 12 students in their university and to come and experience such a, a travel placement as this it's been fantastic for them there we go hope you enjoyed this week's countryside and uh, we'll have a week off next week for the island games and we'll be back the week after that with more on your countryside from me simon clark and me Kerry kermode bye-bye bye-bye don't sit in the slow lane join the fast lane right now with shaw's all new super fast plus broadband Enjoy more bandwidth, amazing speeds and the best value on the island from just £23.95 per month. So don't be left behind. Get a piece of the high-speed action with Superfast Plus Broadband from Shaw. For details, visit our stores in Douglas, Ramsey and Port Erin or click shaw.com. Love being Shaw. Terms and conditions apply.